There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Thomas, good morning. Morning, Willie. Morning. Well, the sun is shining outside. Right, so things have moved on with the rain and dirty wind that we've had for two weeks. I think this is going to be the most positive show of the year, Willie. I have it. A feeling in my bones. Oh, because you're the gonna sun is shining. Us, you're going to kick us off with some good news, I, I believe. Yes, well... I've only been told yesterday that it looks like energy prices are plummeting. Wow. So this is great news, and, and this is a fact. So for all the small businesses out there, all the large businesses out there, get close to your energy provider because now suddenly all of these deals are appearing from nowhere, and I am told they are substantial. So, Willie, I know you, through City Facilities Management, are a huge purchaser of energy on behalf of your customers, what would you advise a small business who's maybe sitting going, oh, I've been offered a deal. Is it time to fix it? Is it, is it time to wait? Is there any any tips you could give them this morning? Well, let me, let me give them a, a story of my personal experience. Two weeks ago that I had found that my energy had went up from 26p a kilowatt hour up to one pound. Oh. Really four times the cost. Right. right. Huge. And, and there was no deals to be got. Right. In a two-week period now, in the last few days, we've had calls from all sorts of people that we've been asking for months and months about contracts and fixed rates. Nothing. There was no deals going, no deals done. Right. And in the last few days, as I said, there were offers that we can't believe. Wow. So what I would say, everybody out there, if you have been talking to people and you've given up, go back. Go back. Go back now. Right. There is deals to be got, and hopefully, and, and I'm talking about, you know, my, in my own experience, my energy gone back to nearly what it was. Really? Right. Wow. Yeah. So, so it went up from twenty six p an hour to a pound, and we're now talking about nearly twenty thirty five pence. Right. And I can get a contract. Well, I think for any um, business owner listening this morning, that's well worth. The fee it costs to listen, which is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll save you a fortune. It's great. But what we need to ask ourselves is... Why? How was it your crazy <laughs> fault? <laughs> so, Willie, I was of this thing called follow the money. Yeah. So who's been making the money here, Willie? Come on, spill the beans this morning. People were just gouging. Really? Yes. Now... I'm not saying that the suppliers that we are getting were not being gouged by the people in wherever, uh -huh. but I think that somebody found a good bad day <laughs> to put news out there that we're going to be making more money. And I think that this is good news and I hope it continues. Oh my goodness, it's brilliant. And yeah. it kind of leads us on. I, I was reading in the Herald this week that Warren Buffett, who is one of my all-time heroes, um, is investing in the North Sea, actually, through a company called IOG. So I just wanted to recap about Warren Buffett because, as I say, one of my all-time heroes, um, along with Bill Gates, come up with a giving pledge, which was for people who had been lucky enough to make money to say they would give at least half of their wealth to charity, usually while they're still living. 
and Mary and I are signatories of this. And um, some of Warren Buffett's quotes, and I had to refresh my memory because I've got them in the stairs up to my office, Willie, because he's just known as, for his common sense. And some of his great sayings, which I think the listeners this morning may think are good. Maybe they've got better ones. Write in and tell us. So he's number one. Rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. <laughs> His second one that I really love doing what I do is it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price rather than a fair company at a wonderful price. It just makes sense, Willie. It just makes sense. And the, the last one is when he's talking about risk, he said, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing, <laughs> which may apply to us at the Corinthian Business Show. He could be right about that. <laughs> the funny one I seen that he'd said this week, that I, and I think he said it many, many years ago, but he was making very derogatory remarks about venture capital companies. <laughs> I'm not telling the listeners what he was calling them, yes. right? But I think was it vultures? <laughs> yes. And he, it, the last one I'll I'll finish with is um, he says when people are speculating in the last financial crisis, he said it's only when the tide goes out that you see who's been swimming without any trunks. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. But I think also Tom, for people out there in business, it's dead easy to understand Warren Buffy's model especially if you read back his story to the start. And he was only interested in businesses that had cash. Yeah, cash, cash flow was everything, right. Willie. And, and people don't know that the, the name of his company today that is so powerful and, and worth so much money, you know, um, Berkshire Hathaway, actually was probably, as a business, was one of the worst performing businesses he ever had, yes. but at the best cash. <laughs> and that's why he chose that name. So... A wee, a wee quick story, Willie, this morning. You're always good at stories, but um, I had been trying all of my business life to meet Warren Buffett. He was my hero. And I, I even got through to his... He, he still lives in Omaha, Nebraska, in the same house. Yes. He's been in for 50 years. Aye. And um, I got through to his secretary one day, and she was lovely. And as you would expect, you know, just, oh, hello. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm a real admirer of Warren. Is there any chance of getting to see him? I'm actually... I'm actually in Omaha in the next couple of weeks. And she said, oh, when are you here, Tom? And I said, well, whenever you want me. <laughs> but I never got to see him. So Mary and I go over to the Giving Pledge and we're sitting there kind of in awe of all these folks, Bill Gates and all, all the rest of it. And we, we sat down for dinner and I'm thinking, I wonder who's going to sit. And right beside me came Warren Buffett. And it absolutely made my year. <laughs> and he was as good... You know, sometimes they say, don't meet your heroes. Right. He was as good, and he gave me a brilliant piece of advice. But anyway, right. I'm going to call him my pal, Warren. Yeah. And if, if any listeners, the the way to see how he's made his money is his annual report, Bar Berkshire Hath Hathaway, as Willie says, it's on the internet. I make it compulsory reading for my team every year, and all of his annual reports going way back are there, and they're worth a read. Yeah. I, I think maybe, Tom, this good news is going to prevail today. What? what? Um, some uh, indicators this week that maybe inflation has peaked. So, this this is a very interesting one, Willie. Um, I, I, you and I read a lot about this, and I am getting contradictory 
one economist will say one thing, one economist says another. I, I can't get a feel for it. What do you think? I honestly think the way that um, day-to-day prices are going for the average consumer, I don't see inflation as a peak yet. Right. right. I okay. don't think so. I think there's a wee bit to go. We're not far away for the end. But it's interestingly, so coupled with that, obviously, um, interest rates and you know the way that they work, they're always leaking things out to the press. Yes. Well, hopefully the things that have been leaked out to the press all this week in relation to there is a potential for interest rates going down going by 50 down. bips. Wow. So... I don't think they're going to go down 50 bips. I think the best we can hope for, and I think it's in February the 2nd, Willie, um, the Bank of England decide this. I think the best we can hope for is staying where they are. Or I think there's maybe 25 bip increase. But anyway, we could have lunch at Nando's on this if you fancied it. I think the best that could happen here would be no increase. No increase. Right, no increase. And that would be a great indicator. I'm not going to bet right. against that. No, no, no. So that would that would be that would be good and it'd be great for everybody, it'd be great for business. So first three items that we've spoken about this morning all seem to be good news for business. Let's continue. Let's continue. Hospitality industry. Well, I read in the Herald this week, Scott Wright, who's a journalist that I, I, I follow. Yeah, good lad, Scott. He was saying that in Glasgow... In 2022, 23 different new formats opened in hospitality. Things like Fat Lobster, Ghost, Devil of Brooklyn. And these, they're not been opened by the big chains. They've been opened by young entrepreneurial talent who just given it a go. And I know you've got one you were telling me about. I can't remember. Wonderbar. Wonderbar. And again, young entrepreneurial talent just saying, to hell we are doom and gloom. We're going to give it a go. So, and it's the same down in Ayrshire. We've got a company, Simps Inns, creating 30 new jobs down in Ayrshire um, with their potting shed concept down there. And, of course, Buzzworks continues to, to create jobs. So, you know, of course, if you read the paper, you can be doom and gloom, but good entrepreneurs are just getting on with it, Willie. And just to add to that, the, only this week, you know, they own quite a bit of property in Royal Exchange Square. Yeah. Well... I was approached this week for the whole ground floor of the of of one side of Royal Exchange Square by a company. I mean, they're talking about if you take the whole space, it'd be something like five and a half thousand square feet across wow. all the shops in the ground floor. So that was really interesting. But they are, in fact, I could have signed up with them on Tuesday. Right, right. Okay. but um, I'm taking a wee bit more time to, you know, I won't mention them, that wouldn't be correct, and, and plus I've got an NDA. <laughs> so, but just to add to what Scott is saying, there is, should we keep talking about green shoots, there is there is major green shoots in, in hospitality. And these are the people, Willie, who are the heroes of our show here. This is why you put the, the show together, mm-hmm. was to help these people because the mainstream media, you know, you would be slitting your throat, you wouldn't be going out, you wouldn't be trying things, it's all doom and gloom, whereas good entrepreneurs are just saying, I see an opportunity here, maybe I can get that premises a wee bit cheaper, and I just hope the public um, support these entrepreneurs by going and testing out these new formats. Be brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, not not to change away from the mood, right? Where everyone's been good, but there is there's still been con- some concerns from from small businesses and SMEs, you know, about trading, about inflation. So hopefully, all of these we understand that, and, and quite really, so it should be there. But hopefully, that the things that we've been talking about this morning that will help 
towards that. That's some of the ingredients that's making things a bit gloomy for SMEs. Hopefully some of this, um, again, you know, travel industry. Right. Booming. Booming. Nearly back to normal, beyond normal. Wow. So people, you know, I think EasyJet are saying more bookings than ever before. You know, I've seen the profits that Ryanair made. So all of the businesses that were kind of stable to tell you how the economy was going on, um, I seem to be, there's green shoots everywhere. So I, so I, I, I've started travelling back up and down to London and um, every flight is chock-a-block, will I? Yeah. And I noticed at Glasgow Airport, they're... Emirates are putting on the big A380 back Air, Airbus to Dubai. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah. So it shows you the demand for it. I think that especially that Dubai route, which is vital to Glasgow Airport, you know, there was some talk, you know, last year, whatever, about, you know, maybe, you know, disappearing somewhere else, but absolutely delighted that they're still there. And that commitment, I mean, I remember when it, the first day it came, right? Uh, I think I was I, I was on it the first week that it came. I was not you? in the first flight, yeah. Um, I, I was on it many times, you know, going to Australia. Right. But this was the first time. And I believe... Like, you have to spend a fortune for the gantry. I think it's millions. That's so, so you can guy. take the plane. So it's great that they've spent all that money and they've brought it back again. But it just shows it's you that back. that aircraft must be um, commercially viable. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a FSB, Federation for Small Business, coming out this week saying, you know, the number one worry for small businesses was the energy. So maybe what you've said will help them. The other thing that I've read this week is um, KPMG, Amy Burnett there, was saying that the VC money flowing into Scottish scale-ups was the highest ever last year, over 700 million. Wow. And it was 12% up year on year, whereas the UK was 30% down. So, Willie, this has been the most positive Go Radio Business show, and I'm delighted. Let's finish with the most positive story at all a week. The thing that we've been saying for weeks and weeks, right? that Scotland absolutely could be at the edge, right? At the cutting edge, we could show the world that we are the one place on renewables, wow. right? This is the place. And what about the story about AMTE this week going to build a new mega battery factory in Dundee? In Dundee, Bonnie Dundee. Yeah. It's a shame about the story about Blythe and what happened down south. Right. But absolutely delighted that suddenly in Scotland we've got this opportunity. And this could be the start, the catalyst for demonstrating that this is the place. Well, right. I, I think Scotland is the place. And as I say, we're going to get Professor Sir Jim MacDonald on the show, Principal at Strathclyde, an energy guru. And he's going to show us the way, will he? Brilliant. Can't wait. It's a big welcome back to a friend of the show, Stuart Patrick, Head of the Chamber of Commerce in Glasgow. Stuart, welcome back. Thank you very much, Willie. Um, I would normally want to kick off the new year with a healthy list of positive news, but I have to acknowledge that just four weeks in, decisions have not been going Glasgow's way. We were bitterly disappointed that the Clyde Green Freeport proposal lost out to bids from yes, the Cromarty Firth and from Edinburgh. Given that we believe that the Clyde Freeport proposal would have generated upwards of 30,000 jobs and attracted £2 billion worth of private business investment, you can imagine that we are vigorously supporting the city's call to UK and Scottish government ministers for urgent discussions on the way forward for national government backing to Glasgow City region. There are some issues to resolve. 
What does the UK government's levelling up strategy amount to if the region with by far the largest concentrations of poverty and disadvantage loses out to one of the UK's richest? It took Glasgow some three decades to stop the drift in population and investment from the west coast to the east. That we now have two free ports on the east coast and nothing on the west north of Liverpool can only make it more difficult to achieve our goals for inclusive growth. Nor can the Scottish government be let off the hook. Just over three years ago, the government made a bold commitment to revitalise the River Clyde with the launch of the Clyde Mission Plan. So far, that has amounted to one further announcement of £10 million towards a package of relatively small projects. Well then, Tom will remember over 20 years ago, a broadly similar announcement for a £2 billion worth of projects called the Clyde Waterfront. That made clear just how much investment was needed to get the Clyde moving again. Nobody would argue that the task is anywhere near finished. With Clyde mission stalled and the Freeport rejected, what is the plan now? Then the UK government announced that Glasgow was not successful in the second round of levelling up fund bids. What was much more concerning was discovering that the time and energy spent by the City Council submitting plans for seven projects, including the People's Palace refurbishment and the proposal to cap the M8 at Charing Cross, was a waste of valuable time. It turned out that areas which had secured a project in the first round, as Glasgow did with the Pollock Stables project, were ruled out for the second, without making that clear. Both the UK and Scottish governments must look again at their commitment to the long-term transformation of Glasgow City Region. Of course there has been great progress over the past 20 years, but there are too many of the region's towns and communities that have still to see the benefits of that success. Yes, there has been a city deal, now eight years old, and replicated in regions all across Scotland. But Manchester and Birmingham are on to their third and fourth rounds of fresh resources and devolved powers. Glasgow is much further behind. It's not all bad news. Glasgow's designation by the UK government as an innovation accelerator means there's £33 million coming to funding towards projects that will help local companies invest in new technologies. We already know that Glasgow is one of the world's biggest centres for space communications and satellites. Now there's a pipeline of projects from Glasgow and Strathclyde universities to work with local businesses on new technology, including photonics, advanced manufacturing, quantum computing, fintech, digital communications, and precision medicine. An announcement on which projects have secured a share of that money is due very soon. And I can also confirm the, from the Chamber's own work on international trade documentation that whiskey exporting has been strong in recent months. So it is with a heavy heart that we find ourselves starting yet another Scottish Government consultation that looks set to damage one of our most successful industries. The negative member feedback we are getting on the Government's proposals for banning alcohol advertising leaves one wondering just how much we value an exporting industry that also includes gin and craft beers. I can't remember a Scottish trade mission or an inward investment conference which has not used a whisky tasting or a distillery visit as part of the pitch. Now we're wondering whether all those distillery visitor centres have a prosperous future. Now we're discussing whether some whisky brands might be traded energetically overseas but withdrawn in their home base in Scotland. Is the Scottish Government really proposing that we promote whisky overseas whilst hiding it away in disgrace at home? What message do we think that sends to our markets abroad? Economic times are hard enough without the government constantly dreaming up new obstacles for our most successful industries to negotiate.
Wow, <laughs> my goodness, Stuart. Have a have a wee dram, son. <laughs> Make a double. I think we all need a double after that. Right. But wow. Stuart, we have to be honest here, right? And the listeners have to know that the Scottish government worked against Glasgow in this decision. There is no doubt they made it quite clear in the response to the letter from Susan Aiken that the Scottish government were part of the decision-making. So for the free port to end up in Edinburgh, we're not going to argue about Cromarty, right? But for the free port between Glasgow and Edinburgh, for that to end up in Edinburgh, right, was all based on what the Scottish government had to say. There's no doubt about that. And, and 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 we mentioned last week as well. We mentioned that we're giving examples, and we may talk about it, about housing and about rent freezes and what have you. This is another example of when government tries to intervene when they think it's the right thing to do for business and the economy. And this is a big, big mistake. One of the challenges, the very specific challenges that comes out of the decision is that uh, we know that Glasgow Airport for a long time has cons been concerned about the fact that the government owns Prestwick Airport and has for several years had to invest in Prestwick Airport in order to try and help it survive. And that has to a degree cleared the pitch for uh, Glasgow Airport in the competition for airlines. But now we've got Edinburgh Airport and the Freeport bid for uh, the fourth will also be getting some forms of state support in uh, developing around the airport and that will help them in yeah. attracting some of the uh, goods exporting business yeah. that Glasgow is already yeah. doing. So in essence, we end up with a situation where of the three airports in the central belt, only one of them gets yeah. no state support and that's Glasgow. So what we should be talking about, Stuart, here is when do we start talking about levelling up in Scotland? Which is a very fair point because the UK government in particular thinks about levelling up as a north-south yes. affair. Uh, actually, in Scotland, it's an east-west affair and that's something we and are not seeing are in the there. discussion. The soon. facts are there. Look what's happened to the airlines. Look what's happened to the people who've moved from Glasgow to Edinburgh. Yep. And to be honest with you, Edinburgh now is so busy, right, with traffic, with the infrastructure, can't handle it. This is the last thing it needs, right? It's going to take you now about two and a half hours to get to Edinburgh. Right, if this continues. And I think that the, the government, you know, really... It's interesting in a week, I don't know if you noticed it, but they kind of sneaked out this week that um, Louise MacDonald is now no longer in position. She's moved. All of these things at the moment, when the government get involved in business, we seem to be rushing to make the wrong ideas and they all end up as negatives. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I have to say to Vinish, where I do have a bit of sympathy with the UK government is... See when we give you five million pound under levelling up, and the best scheme you can come up with is to do up the old stables in Pollock Park. I don't think I'm rushing to give you much more money. Of all the things we could have spent the money on, I might just defend one aspect of the of the city submission. Please. That is that the the criteria, and again, this is one of the debates about how you do levelling up. The criteria for the submissions for levelling up at the time were so restrictive. Yes. You had to have a project in a particular, con, you know, in every constituency. Yes. Yeah. So, and of course, in Glasgow, the central constituency is where most of the really good projects are. Yeah. So you end up with a kind of strange mix of projects being submitted. Yeah. It's the UK government that then yeah. selects which one that yeah. they, uh, they absolutely go for. Yeah. And that's where I think that UK and Scottish governments, they need to be going in that direction. More devolve, devolving of... Uh, resources and powers to... Yeah. to I mean, I, I think... I don't want to get into the politics of this, but I think when government decide that they know best, I'm very, very worried. Yes. Yeah. 
business did not have a major say in any of the thinking. And I think that we, we were all infused about the 10-year, the NES plan, what they were going to do, and look what's happened. You no, know, we have an interim, lead, an interim leader, then not, and then someone... And it's interesting, when you read... Right, the 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 letter of explanation from the Scottish government. You don't know who got the job, who didn't get the job. They're congratulating the person who, who did get the job, who didn't get the job. It's, it's a bit of a dog's dinner. But I think, I think this is a really good point. What you have enforced today with us is we've been talking for many many weeks that we in the West. I'm not saying we're declaring UDI, but we have to get together. So bodies like yourself, talking to Scottish Enterprise, talking to SNP, we have to fight, you know, we have to fight for the right to party, mm. right, in the west of Scotland. And I think that what we're trying to do on the show here is bring organisations together so we can all have one voice, if we agree, right, and have one voice so that we can lobby, because certainly at the moment... It doesn't look as if we're getting a fair crack of a whip in the West. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to athlete and BBC broadcaster Mark Beaumont. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is athlete and BBC broadcaster Mark Beaumont. Mark spent the first few decades of his career building teams around sporting success. He believes that Scotland continues to have a key role to play in creating science, engineering and technology that has a global positive impact. Wow, Tom, we have a very special guest this week. I'm excited, Willie. I believe someone you know. I'm excited. Mark Beaumont. Hello, hello. One of the most famous cyclists ever. <laughs> well, well, world champion in endurance cycling. Well, nobody's breaking my round the world record because you can't get through Russia right now. That's, that's, the, that's the main reason I'm holding on. Right. Brilliant. So, Mark, I'm delighted you're on the Go Radio Business Show this morning. You and me go back quite a way, and I'm a great admirer of yours, and I can't wait for the listeners to hear all about it. Well, I think you got in touch 10 years ago and said, uh, Mark, can you do us a favour? The Hunter Foundation was a big partnership with the STV Children's Appeal, uh, creating content for the channel as well. And would you do something? Would you do something big, bold, that had a community aspect to it? And uh, I said, sure, I'm up for it. Why not? I was between big projects at the time. And then the team, the creative team at STV said, Mark, what are you not good at? <laughs> what, what are you rubbish at? What can you not do? Because there's no point in you just going out and riding your bike a long way or doing something that you're, you've got records for. And I said, well, I've never run a marathon and I'm a lousy swimmer. I never learned to swim properly. And they came back and said, great, would you run and swim across Scotland? <laughs> Literally, would you run and swim across Scotland? So I think this was the January. And I couldn't swim a 50-meter length of a pool. And, nope. uh, and the challenge was to go from Blackwater, Foot and Arran to Aberdeen. And that includes an eight-mile swim between So you between had to swim and from Arran, Willie. Wow. So... Amazing. So, Tom, it's your fault that I can now swim. 
<laughs> because uh, I never thought I'd give you credit for that. But I, I, I went into intensive training from scratch. I kid you not. I, I mean, I honestly, I would, I would, I would be treading water after ten meters. I, I'd never learned to do front crawl. And in intensive training over the coming months, I learned. And it's amazing when you've been a professional athlete in one discipline to then be rubbish at something else, but to have the, you know, the physical ability and the, the expectation that you'll learn quickly. And, and actually, when you're a professional athlete or something, your, your incremental gains are tiny. Week to week, you really don't see any changes. But when you're absolutely rubbish at something, it's really <laughs> exciting because you see massive change every week. It's really great to go back and try something you're terrible at. And I loved that challenge. It was scary as hell. I tell you what, getting into the water, I mean, running 240 miles across Scotland was scary, but, but getting in the water in the northeast point of Arran and looking at Butte and how far away oh it was. My and, God. and on my own, without you know any assistance apart from a support boat and a filming boat, uh, swimming for eight miles, ha having not been able to swim six months before. I mean, we raised a lot of money for the we STV did. Children's Appeal. So it, was a, it was a cracking, all the primary schools came out across the way, yeah. huge engagements from young people across Scotland. But as a personal challenge, it was, it was terrifying. How long did that take, Matt, the swim? Uh, took four and a half hours to do that swim. Wow, eight, wow, mi eight wow. miles. So I'm just going to remember when STV phoned me and said, what you rubbish, I'll say, <laughs> honestly, she try to fly these fighter jets. I'm hopeless, <laughs> hopeless. Well, Ed, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but, but Mark, I'm, I'm fascinated by people who, who take on these big challenges because people in business take on challenges every day. But there's something special about you. And I just wonder... Was it something in your upbringing which was different perhaps to others? Was it something... When when did you th actually think, I'm actually a wee bit different here and I, I actually think different to most of the population? Can you think back about that? I mean, you're being very kind in the question, Tom, but the, uh, the reality is everyone has a special individual superpower which you think that? just needs nurtured and promoted. The thing I always come back to is this idea of quiet confidence. It's not arrogance. It's not what you. It's not being an alpha and sort of throwing your weight around. It's a quiet confidence. How do you figure out what you're good at? When you're at school, primary school and secondary school in particular, your individuality gets taught out of you. You know, it's. I remember. So what you ask me? What's unique about me? The thing I can go back to is I didn't go to school till I was twelve. So I was homeschooled. Wow, right. I was, you know, on a, a wee farm, tiny wee. My parents tried to make a go of organics in the 80s, early 90s. And it was way too small to be commercially successful, being honest. Uh, it, it, was, it was a tough um, environment to grow up on. My two pals were my two sisters. We never really left the farm. The big deal twice a year was when Granny came through from Kilmacomb and we got to go to the Bridge of Cali Hotel. It was a pretty, <laughs> I mean, it was a Swallows and Amazons existence, which is a reference that will be lost on the younger listeners. But it was, it was a wonderful freedom, but it was very, very, um, it was a very small world I lived in. But what it did give me was an incredible sense of self. I was out, I had to milk 60 goats before breakfast every day. By the time I was eight, I was skinning rabbits and making my own shoes out of this. I mean, my kids don't know how to make their own rabbit shoes. Skin. <laughs> it's, uh, these, I worry, I'm glad. I, I worry about these things. No, I look back at my childhood and what I was given before the age of 10 was a huge uh, sense of resilience, yeah. you know, hard work, yeah. graft, you know. And when I was then plonked into high school, 
at the age of 12, I found it incredibly difficult. Was that difficult for you? Massively difficult because I was quite a big guy. I was quite physically strong from working on the farm. I had a great sense of self. I knew who I was. And then I was chucked into high school. And honestly, I was still dressed by my mummy. You know, I'd worn overall (laughs) boots and Wellingtons until the age of 12. And suddenly I'm in a school where if you don't have the right shoes and the right haircut and the right backpack, right, so... When I went to school, if you didn't have like cats or kickers right. as your shoes and you didn't have a certain type of rucksack and a certain... I would be selling those to, the, to all <laughs> yeah. the parents, yes. Well, well, it's your fault then because I got <laughs> bullied mercilessly because I had brown hush puppies and a satchel bag and everyone had a rucksack. Okay, and I had a big Mark, so I'm, I was, I'm getting I was the picture here, Willie. I was that kid. You can imagine homeschooled, completely isolated, and then the first two, three years of high school, I sort of gently got bullied into shape. My point is, it didn't hurt me long term. It was absolutely fine, but... But those things which sort of gave me that quiet confidence and independence as a kid, I wouldn't put my own kids through what I went through because right. I was way too, I just wasn't, if you don't learn how to socialize until you're 12, you've got a bit of catching up to do. <laughs> but, but my experience, a lot of those learned behaviors for my daughters, they learn without thinking about it because they're little social chameleons. You know, they're, they're, they're in, in those formative years, they're learning all those social dynamics. I had a weird sort of 12 years where I was on my own with my sisters on the farm and then I was plonked into society. So a lot of my learning in terms of the social side of it was very conscious. It's like, okay, I need to do this. There's rules here to get involved. What it gave me, I never lost the stuff that personally interested me. I didn't spend my entire childhood trying to conform to everyone around me. Right. So in high school and the playground, it's a pretty brutal place where those things that are personal interests or strengths often get taught out of you. And I think as a survival tactic, I learned to sort of conform and be a part of the crowd, but I never lost the bits that made me me and the bits that interested me. And I remember many times going through then sort of university and afterwards where if I had an idea, I didn't care what other people thought. I didn't care whether other people agreed or thought it was a good idea. I didn't care if the crowd was going that way. I would do it. I remember before it was called the Saltar program, the very first year that Scottish Enterprise had a program for internship in Scottish universities, it was called the Tomorrow's Leaders program. That's right, yeah. I was, um, so we're going back away now, before Saltar program became part of Entrepreneurial Scotland, I was one of the first guinea pigs that got asked to go across and do an internship in Boston for the summer. Absolutely loved it. I didn't actually enjoy the job I was doing, but actually at that age, it's quite good to learn what you don't want to do as opposed to just what you do want to do. But I, I mean, I remember a time in the halls of residence at, uh, at, uh, in Boston with all the other interns. Everyone's bright, everyone's motivated, everyone's got an exciting career in front of them. But there was a day when I noticed on the billboard that they were advertising Shakespeare in the Common, Shakespeare in the Park, whatever they call it, an outdoor Shakespeare thing. I'm not a big theatre guy, I'm not a big Shakespeare fan, but I thought, that looks great, that looks really interesting. Quite fine to go into that. So I said to all the other interns, do you want to do that? That that looks great. Let's get some beers, go down to the park in Boston Common and watch Shakespeare on on the Sunday. And I remember one of the real alphas said, Shakespeare, who would want to do that? You know, terrible idea. I was back in the playground, back of the bus stuff. And, you know, it was like, Mark, you loser. Why would you want to do that? And everyone everyone put their head down and went, no, 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 let's not do that. And I was like, well, stuff you. And off I went and enjoyed the Sunday in the sunshine, watching Shakespeare, having that experience. I absolutely loved it. I didn't care what they said. And then afterwards, three or four people came up to me and said, I wanted to do that. I thought that was a good idea. But because it got shouted down, I didn't. 
And I know that's a stupid example to give, but I can think of no, so no, many no. times in really my life. No, I can yeah. think of so many times in my life where it's not about, you know, intelligence or what you know. It's just like, I've got an idea. I'm going to do it. And I can go back to when I was graduating from Glasgow University and going, I'm going to cycle around the world. Was I the best qualified, most suitable person to do that? If I had so, looked around... So hang on a second, because that's quite a jump. <laughs> How does that thought even come into your head? Never mind, can I do it, but... I might yeah, want to do this. Yeah. How do you how do you get that thought in your head, Mark? Well, it's dangerous not to tell stories <laughs> with sort of twenty twenty hindsight, isn't it? Yes. So the way the truth of the matter at the time, as opposed to how I see it, sort of nearly two decades later, is I'd always loved the freedom of the bicycle. So you got to keep in mind, you know, when I first got on my bike and went on an adventure, I was still being homeschooled. Right. So I read in the Dundee Courier when I was eleven about a guy who had gone Land's End, John O'Groats. Hundreds of people do that a year, but I didn't know that. I was 11 years old. So I remember getting the old AA roadmap. Again, younger listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about. The old <laughs> the old car atlas out from the Landy and getting a highlighter pen and finding the roads from Land's End to John O'Groats. And I presented this to my parents as uh, my first big expedition. I said, can I do this? And my dad told me off for putting a highlighter pen all over, the, <laughs> over the map and sort of, you know, and my mum said, look, Mark, do you want to try something a wee bit smaller first? Because you've not really cycled off the farm before. I mean, it was a mile long track to get to the road. So <laughs> um, so she had a point. And when I was 12, I went Dundee to open across Scotland. It took three days, raised a couple of, uh, a couple of grand for charity. And it, it wasn't just the ride I enjoyed. It was the whole planning of it, going go door to door in Blairgowrie, doing some fundraising for it, the whole project. And actually, when I was struggling at school because of the social side, having this thing that I was good at was my thing. You know, I was quite, I was a skier and I was a, I was, I was starting doing these expeditions when I was getting, you know, wasn't getting picked in the football team and I, I was terrible at rugby despite being a big bloke. This, this thing that I was good at adventures and I was good at expeditions and I was a good skier, it was, it was something I could hold on to. Right. And that got bigger and bigger through my teenage years. I was 15 when I soloed Land's End to John O'Groats. And so I'm not saying it was sort of inevitable, but these projects got bigger and bigger right. until, you know, I was at u university and I thought, look, this clearly isn't a career. My, my, my father still doesn't think it is a career. But, um, <laughs> but my point at the time, my perspective at the time was, if I've got one chance to put all my cards on the table and just go on one big adventure to end all adventures before I go back and get my graduate job as an accountant or wherever I'm going to be, I will just cycle around the world. You know, there's nothing bigger, it's wow. the world. And I was inspired, you know, as a teenager when Ellen MacArthur sailed around the world. I thought that the cycling world record, the circumnavigation, I thought that must be the most professional coveted record in the book. It's the world. And yet when I looked at it, the record was 276 days. You know, I'm not being unkind about anyone who's gone around the world <laughs> in 276 days, but that's very slow. And um, <laughs> that's he, he, slow, Willie. Really slow. So my perspective at the time was, well... Why is, it was more of a feat of enterprise than rating myself as a bike rider. I more thought, why is this not being done properly? And suddenly this idea of let's go on a big trip after university and just nomadically cycle around the world became, hang on a second, we could, we could get a so, record here. So if I could just interject a second, you had no fear of failure. That's what I would say. And for the listeners this morning in their business thinking, will I do it, will I not do it? Oh, I'm a bit frightened what people will say and all the rest of it. You you didn't have that. You said, right, I'll do it. And it, it, I think it'll work. If it doesn't work, well, what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. And, that, and that's a real, real skill. And 
I think that was probably within you from your upbringing. Do you think people can can catch that? Because I I believe Scotland's held back a bit with our fear of failure, and we try in this show to say, you know, give it a go. What's the worst that could happen? I think people care far too much about what other people think. Right. And I know we're social animals. Um, you know, I I know I'm not the the smartest guy in the academic sense. I know I'm not the strongest guy in a physical sense. The success I've had over the last 20 years is having the quiet confidence to do things that other people doubt themselves right. on or wait for, wait for, you know, wait for other people to to give them the nod that they should do it. You know, they wait, they, they, they wait for the opportunity to land on their lap. And and opportunities very very rarely land on your lap you yes. need to you need to create <laughs> yes. them you need yeah, to yeah. you need to go on so that if i talk to one thing to my daughters it's absolutely learn to be comfortable in your own skin you know learn to be able to interact you know intelligently in different situations but never ever learn that lose that sense of self learn, you know you need to live with yourself more than anything else. And if you spend your entire life trying to please other people, you'll please nobody. Wow. Strong stuff, Willie. So, so Mark, you know, winding forward now, you've done the cycling, people know you, they know obviously after your amazing feat of, of smashing the world record it. For, for going around the world. Then you decided that, you know, you're going to look at other projects. Give us a, a flavour, give our listeners a flavour of what you've been doing the last few years. Well, yeah, I mean, I spent my 20s and most of my 30s doing major expeditions to well over 100 countries, you know, made made documentaries with uh, the BBC here in Glasgow. I really started my career and gone on to make, make, make documentaries with CNN, Global Cycling Network and others. So that broadcasting side, storytelling, you know, writing books and, you know, um, you know, it's been a really, really powerful and important part of what I have done over the years. I've continued to try and push first and fastest. So that original record, the round the world record, I actually came back to in my mid-30s and really did take that to the next level. So the record that we thought was quick back in the day, it's interesting with hindsight, you, you know, you look at the stuff you did 20 years ago and, I, you know, you used to think that was good. The record to go around the world now is 78 days, 14 hours and 40 minutes. Wow. And if you told me the first time I pedaled around the planet that I was going to go well over 100 days quicker. I would have told you it was entirely impossible. Physically, we're not that much more able. You know, it's 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 a mindset change. It's it's fundamentally setting out and believing that you can take this to a whole other level. And as an athlete, I'm incredibly proud to have been at that, you know, very pointy end of high performance and ultra endurance for 20 years. Actually, it's worth saying that the fastest male and female to cycle around the world are both Scottish. We're good at this stuff. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Graham's from Inverness. Jenny Graham, wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. But, what, but what's also, I mean, people think that I just ride a bike for a living. <laughs> and that's a fair assumption. But I, uh, I've always had a real interest in business. And as a segue into that, people have often been disappointed when they go out and break big records, do similar things that I've done, and it doesn't give them a legacy. It doesn't give them a growth business. It doesn't give a, them a platform that they think they deserve. Mm -hmm. I've had so many people come to me over the years and say, I've done something similar to you. Why have I not got the opportunities you've got? And I always try and quietly coach and point out that if that's what you want to do, if you want to build a growth business, if you want to create you know, long-term relationships with people, with businesses in particular, that's a completely different skill set than being a good athlete. So building a platform and creating legacy and opportunities, if that's what you want to do, breaking the records in and of itself is not enough. 
And so for me, there was always an interest as an athlete. You can be raising a lot of capital to complete on the projects, but you're you're always kind of living life like a student because everything goes into the project and then you're back cap in hand trying to fund the next project. I had no interest in doing that. I wanted to you know, take on my biggest dreams as an athlete whilst driving a growth business which had wider impact than that. So the broadcasting and the business interests. And it eventually led me to five years ago getting involved in a in an early stage investment uh, outfit out of St. Andrews originally uh, called EOS. And if you were to ask me 10 years ago, would I be building an investment firm? Uh, absolutely not. But one thing led to another. And my passion is about teams. It's about people. It's about innovation. And as a farmer's son, I wanted to get involved in science and engineering and technology that was, you know, addressing the stuff that worries me in the world. And so I've ended up these days spending a lot of my time trying to back founders and entrepreneurs who have the passion to scale Scottish technology fundamentally, which is which is addressing these key issues. And there's a real sort of impact metric there in terms of what they're doing. But you wouldn't believe how similar it is to the conversations I had when I was building high performance teams around expeditions. People think, well, you know, they're, they're a million miles apart. It's the same thing. It's looking people in the eye and going, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? Yep. And can we tighten the timelines around that and really deliver it? It's the credibility bit because ultimately you're backing people. And, and the, you know, the first conversation we had about, do you have that quiet confidence to step out, do something interesting and really have the conviction to drive that? So the truth is I meet people and they're like, oh, you're the guy that cycled around the world. I still love riding my bike and taking <laughs> on projects, but I spend a lot of my time trying to back founders and entrepreneurs in in a, in a in a variety of fascinating businesses. So, Mark, can you tell us? I think you've been in the news this week about um, EOS backing a business. Can can you talk about that? Is that in the public domain? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the one that was in the press this week is a is a brilliant uh, wearable technology called Wear Health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've seen, especially over the last three years with COVID and the pandemic, the need for, you know, remote wards, remote patient monitoring, an aging population, making sure that the technology to not just monitor, but transmit information about patients needs to happen, not just in a hospital setting. So, you know, you see the pressures on the NHS right now and yep. the move, not just in the UK, but, you know, globally to be able to have better, you know, preemptive care not just sort of knowing what happens after the event, but understanding genuinely what is your health passport? What is the real-time situation with your well-being? So having amazing engineering and electrical engineering and technology like this happening in Scotland, manufacturing like this happening in Scotland, I right. think is truly exciting. So where are they based, this, this company? Just outside Dunfermline. Okay. Manufacturing happening in the kingdom. And, uh, and you know, a fascinating business that, that we've backed at the point where the te technology is developed and it's now about scaling, you know, into those, those markets. And, you know, how exciting to, to sort of look into the future and go, what, are the, what is the science and the technology? It's all knowledge-intensive businesses, you know, as much as I... It's not about, you know, backing the new gin factory down the road. This is, this is, this is really wonderfully geeky stuff. You know, ag tech, <laughs> quality of life, food and water security. We, we, we backed a company recently that's got a patented um, alternative to uh, microbead plastics, you know, right. a, a plague on the world's oceans. You know, if you've got something which is entirely be, entirely sustainable and biodegradable and governments are mandating manufacturers to find a, 
a solution that doesn't leave microplastics in the world's oceans. How exciting to be able to scale that. So, so, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the mad scientist who can start these companies, but if I can... No, but you can spot it. Yeah, and, and, like, and like, 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 like both you've done with your careers, in some way be a catalyst for the businesses that we need in this world. So we... to finish off, because our, our time's a bit short today, but I could speak to you for hours, um, you're, you've got a big vision. You've always had a big vision. You're now in the business space. You're talking very enthusiastically about these Scottish companies. What's what's the one thing, if you had this magic wand, you would grant Scotland's businesses a wish? What do we need to succeed and lead the world, Mark? I would like people across Scotland, wherever they are in their careers, to reflect on what, what made them passionate about what they do right back at the start. What have they got to give which is unique? Not what's your trade. So be valued because of who you are, not because of what you do. Yes, the world's full of amazing, you know, engineers and accountants and, and lawyers and the rest of it. And never lose your trade. We all need a trade. But ultimately, everyone needs to build a quiet confidence around what gave them that spark. What is it about you that, you know, whether it's about your ability to network and create, you know, focus on it, whether it's about, you know, having that quiet confidence to step out entrepreneurially and do something a little bit differently. I think on an individual perspective, I'd love everyone listening just to think, not what am I good at in a technical sense, but what really drives me? And if people are honest about that, then I think it brings a different intensity to work. And the second bit, which is on a sort of a scotland.org uh, comment is, we need to be better at, talking about what's happening in Scotland. We can be quite down on ourselves in Scotland yeah. and self-deprecating. Not think, in this show. And no. I think and I think what we need to really, really champion is the fact that for a small nation, there is so much amazing stuff happening here. And my job and a lot of people listening to this, who can how can we be boots on the ground in Scotland, but bring a much wider awareness and interest of what's happening here? Because yeah. Scotland has got such an exciting role in the world and there's some big bad problems out there that we can all help address that's my view on it mark it, it sounds like um you're carrying the same passion that you had to smash world records <laughs> into your business life which can only be a good thing um i have to tell you an interesting story how people think differently i was watching the tv the other night with a friend of mine and the the bad story came out about mark cavendish you know, his house being broken into the famous cyclist. And I'm looking, I think, this is horrendous, this is horrendous. And I look to my mate, I say, oh, that's terrible, their house, and, and they stole their watches. And his thing was, how much do you get for being a cyclist? 700 grand for two watches? <laughs> <laughs> well, Cavs, bring it back to Earth, Willie. Exactly. Cavs, Cavs, Cavs won a few Tour de France stages. He's, yeah. he's the tip of the iceberg. That, yeah. that, that boy's done good. Yeah, that boy's done phenomenally well. Yeah. But, well, you've did good as well, Mark. But I tell you what, a wee thought on that is, if, the core, if your core purpose, whether it's Mark Cavendish or Mark Beaumont or, or, or if your core driving principle is to make money, there's easier ways to make money. There's easier ways to make money. <laughs> well, there must be. Honestly, if, 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 if the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning is just to, to, to pay the mortgage and the school fees, you've got to be driven by something else. Yeah. Money's the outcome, yeah. the output from yeah. being passionate about what you do. Well, Mark, listen, um, it's been brilliant having you on this morning. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Um, for listeners who want to know more, I think some of your... Um, documentaries are still on iPlayer or YouTube. Yeah, yeah. 
because you need to understand what this man has actually done. His round the world, breaking his own world record to do it, is just astounding. So, and your vision and now in business, I must tell you, Scotland is lucky to have you. Yeah. And I think the message to the listeners is anyone out there with a small business, a startup, taking uh, you know advice from Mark has got on your bike. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into an organised digital archive. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Tom, on the board you couldn't afford this week, yes. we have an email from Rachel Darkey. And she says that, you no, know, around ChatGPT, she's a software developer, and she, her question is, what do we think that the impact of AI will have on her business and other businesses going forward? Wow, this is very relevant. Willie, so just before Christmas, my son Jamie told me about chat GPT. I'd never heard of it. And now I, I kind of get away from it. So Microsoft has just um, agreed to put $10 billion into chat GPT. Wow. And Larry Summers, who you know, was a former US Treasury Secretary. This was his quotation. He said, chat GPT is a development on par with the printing press, electricity, and the wheel. Wow. Wow. And he's now a Harvard professor. Yes, yes. indeed. Um, so what do I think? I think like like all of these technology advancements, um, artificial intelligence is going to shape the next 20 to 30 years. Um, Bill Gates always says that we underestimate what technology can do in the long term, and we overestimate it in the short term. So, but I think all businesses have got to be aware of it. Is it taking away jobs? Is is there still a part for the human? I, I absolutely, passionately believe there's still a place for the human. But it is going to change industries, and entrepreneurs are the ones who can see the change and see, I can see an opportunity here. You should actually get on this and just... Just Google it first of all and then have a play about with it. It'll blow your mind. Well, I read some stuff about it this week and I've seen some stuff previously. To be fair, I'm not an expert. No, no, But no, one no. of the things that it was saying is that the, the, the one group or the one sector that should be really concerned about this is higher education. Yep. Right. So there's no need now to go away and do all the work and doing your thesis. You can press a button now. You can go in, and suddenly you know you can get a whole uh, whole history of something that's going to take you months and months. You can get now in three minutes, I believe. Right. So I think that this is a big, big worry. And some, they may say it's not. Right. I'm sure yeah. that the universities will say well, but but I'm told that some of the experiments that they've done is actually better and quicker 
and could never have been done by a human. Yep, and there are some educational establishments who are saying already, we've got technology which can detect this, so don't put your thesis in chat GPT to do it for you because we're going to find you out. So, like, you know, if you take it that you were sitting in your exam, sitting beside someone else and you're not supposed to look at their paper, <laughs> they're probably going to have to rewrite the rules because you don't do a thesis in a room, you don't do it under... But it's interesting. I would like to see the software that they have that can detect whether you'd used you know, GPT to get a thesis written. So I think AI is going to rewrite the rules, Willie. And just to finish this very positive show, and it's been brilliant. I have loved this show today. Um, in the week when Scotland or the world celebrated Robbie Burns' birthday, I went to the 100th um, Burns Supper up in Newcomnut. My dad was the president of the Newcomnut Burns Club in 1961, the year I was born, and we went and celebrated the 100th anniversary up there. And another brilliant thing in Ayrshire, we said, I to the Killy Pie in Darvel beat Aberdeen, Willie. Couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. But this is a great example of, you know, this looks like a football story, but that is all, it's a business story because obviously the Killy Pie man you know, Brownings, yep. right? If it wasn't for the backing of John and everything that they've done there, Darvel would never have been... I mean, Darvel at the moment are top junior club, right? right? Let's not run, run. But to get a result like that is like... Um, I mean, this is, without doubt, the greatest upset ever in the history of the Scottish Cup. So a big, big well done to Darvel. Well done. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go.